Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Where the River Begins by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Moody Publishing Company, and we are on Chapter 11, The Source. Francis listened every night, and because it seemed like an interesting story, he learned a lot. He learned how Jesus died on Good Friday because he loved people and wanted to take the punishment of their wrongdoing on himself. He also learned that Jesus rose again on Easter Day and was alive now, and still went on loving. Then they started reading stories about his life on earth, healing, helping, and loving. It was love, 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 all the time. That was all very nice, but it made no difference to Francis. He still threw stones at the ducks and did all he dared to annoy Kate. When no one was looking, he still snatched nice food to take to the river, and he told stories that were not true. Mom was getting better, so they said, so he supposed that they would soon be going home. He wanted to see Mom, but he did not want to go home, because once they got home, the whole business would start over again. Dad and Gloria would reappear, and Wendy would start pinching, and Tyke would be near enough to get to do him in. There seemed no end to it, because there was no new beginning. The Easter holidays seemed to fly because there was so much to do. He, Martin, and Chris helped on the farm and messed about the boat. They made a house on the island, swam and fished, and looked for nests. Francis enjoyed it all, but he was happiest when he was, was by, on, or in the river. He could not have explained why he loved the river so much. Perhaps it was because his first great adventure had to do with the river, or perhaps it because it had washed him up at the feet of Uncle John. He was obsessed with its course and could, would trace it out, of, out on the map or lie in bed, imagining it flowing on and on, broadening to the great cities and the sea. Sometimes in thought he would trace it backwards to the spring, high up in the hills where the first civil trick, silver trickle bubbled, bubbled over and swelled to a current. When he grew up, that was the first thing he would do. He would follow that river back to its source. There were only three days left of the Easter holidays, and Kate was rejoicing. Martin was grumbling at having to go back to school. After prayers that night, Uncle John made an announcement. There's a lot that needs to be done in the yard tomorrow, he said. The lawn needs mowing, the flower beds weeding, and the compost dug in for the next plantings. If we all work hard tomorrow, we can get that done, and the next day we'll have a holiday. Martin, Francis, and Chris, I'll take you all to the cattle market, and Mom can have a quiet day at home. You can come, too, if you want, Kate. I'll help tomorrow and stay at home and finish my essay on Wednesday, said Kate, who was very studious. Then you'll have the house to yourself, said her mother. I'm going to the hairdresser's. Good, replied Kate. I'd like the house to myself. It's nice and quiet. She glanced meaningfully at Francis, who was in the habit of playing chopsticks on the piano. They had never actually had a quarrel, for to Francis, Kate was almost grown up, but she had said several things to him that he did not intend to forget. One day, Kate was going to get what was coming. He went upstairs to bed, muttering rather viciously, and it it struck him that he was not really looking forward to spending the best part of tomorrow working, with Kate watching him out of the corner of her eye, ready to pounce on, on him if he slacked. It was not his idea of fun at all. He was not a servant and was not going to do anything he did not like doing. Perhaps he would do something else. He fell asleep hating Kate, but as he slept, he had a wonderful dream. He dreamed he was running along the bank of the river towards the source, but the riverbed was dry and the banks were caked mud like the desert in the geography books. And then he saw a stream 
trickling from the hills, and wherever the water came, life, beauty, greenness, and buttercups sprang up. A river of life, he said to himself, and woke to find the sun streaming through his window and the first cockatoo calling outside. A river of life, he repeated, and wondered where he had heard those words before. He rather thought it must have been in church. He sprang out of bed in a hurry, feeling the kiss of the sun on his bare skin. He did not really mean to be naughty. It was his dream that had put the idea into his head. There would not be many days before he went back to school, and he must have a day to himself to do his own thing. Uncle John always got up early, but not quite as early as this, and he thought he could, do, he could just make it. He stuffed some biscuits and cold meat into his pockets, and on the table left a note that said, I'm gone. I'll come back. Love, Francis. He brought his bike, bicycle from the garage and gave a great sigh of relief as the trees screened, from, screened him from view. He was going to follow the river, keeping close to the banks, and although he knew he could not possibly reach the source in the hills, he would go as far as he could. There were other little green wooded hills on the horizon. He started off along the road, pedaling between the hedges, but he soon discovered it was impossible to follow the road and stick to the river. He kept losing it. So when he reached the nearest village, he asked a friendly garage man if he might leave his bicycle there as he wanted to go for a walk. The rent man was most agreeable. He pointed out the path that led to the river and gave Francis a bag of chips. So he trotted off to the buttercups in the sense of freedom and sunshine. The bird's song, the kindness, and the chips cast a sort of heavenly glow over that April morning that Francis never forgot for the rest of his life. Even on foot, it was not always easy to follow the river. Sometimes there was a path and sometimes he had to push through the hedges and squeeze through barbed wire or skirt fields of green, young green wheat. He trotted several miles, and the morning shadows had shortened, and the day was getting hotter. But the river did not appear to be growing smaller. Every step was interesting. He came to a woods, dim and scented with bluebells, and here he sat down and ate his lunch. Watching the sun-flicked water through the feathery beech, le- beech trees, a little later, he saw a kingfisher dart out on a hole and skim the surface of the river. The bank smelled of garlic, and in one field, a, ba- a family of rabbits were washing their ears. But he never for a moment felt lonely. The chatter and gurgle of the river, the crying of sheep and lambs were company enough for anyone. He lost all count of time and could have wandered on forever, happily planning how to annoy Cater, just thinking about the river. The river of life, he murmured to himself, a source of a beautiful river. It was mid-afternoon and very hot when the ground on either side of him began to rise, and he realized he had reached the hilly country, far, far away in some high hills. Perhaps he had gotten there. The river did seem a little narrower, and he did not know that it was really a great deal deeper. And then, as he rounded a shoulder of the meadow, he saw it. He found it, a clear stream rushing down over golden stones to join the river. Forget-me-nots and shining buttercups grew on the banks and the marshy patches at the side, for it had tunneled in itself a little valley. Francis, gazing upwards, thought as if he had followed it away up into those hills, he might find the source. He strung his sandals over his neck with a bit of string and began climbing towards the stream. It was not always easy because the hillside was very steep and the stream cascaded down into merry little waterfalls. Sometimes he had to pull himself up by bunches of fern and grass and sometimes the land flattened out into a daisy-starred pasture land. The river was below him now, a sparkling river 
a ribbon winding between weeping willows and altars until it disappeared between another fold of the hills. He would have to wait till he grew up to track that river to its source, but this one was within his grasp. He just had to climb to the top. He was nearly there. He had now reached a sloping field that seemed to him greener than any field he'd ever seen before, and all over it were skipped lambs and sheep lying, lay grazing. It was nearly shearing time, and their full fleeces seemed white as the fluffy clouds above the hilltop. It was as easy going from there, from here onwards, because the stream laughed its way through the pasture and led to a house that sat right on the crest, sheltered by a thicket of larches. Perhaps the man who lives in that house looks after the source, thought Francis, hurrying on. But I'm going to find it by myself first. It was not at all difficult now that he had come so far. Just by the house was, was a stone trough set in the ground full of water. Just above it, near the roots of the tree, was a shallow, bubbling well with a pipe where one could fill buckets, and the water that bubbled up in the well was spring water, clear as crystal. The ferns, forget-me-nots, and periwinkles that grew around it were, were longer, greener, and bluer than any had ever seen before. He sat on the little wall of the well and dangled his bruised feet in the water and looked around him. The wind-swept larches leaned towards the south, and their crimson tufts jeweled the new green. Far below lay the great plain with its wheat fields, farms, wooded pastures, river valleys, villages, and the church spirals. Francis could see most of the way he had come, but he thought it would not be too difficult to get home again. He had no idea how late it was. <clears throat> hey, you young vermin, what are you fouling up my spring water with your dirty feet? Take them out of there before I set the dog on you. Francis leaped up, and the angry shepherd, seeing how small he was, spoke more gently. Now, where did you come from, he asked. You don't be from these parts, and, and did all ever to teach you about fouling up good spring water? Don't you ever let me catch you doing that again. Sorry, said Francis, keeping his eyes on the panting collie. I, I didn't know. I, I followed the stream all the way up from the river, and I followed the river all the way from Rockley. This is, a tr is this the true source, and does it belong to you? Rockley, repeated the shepherd. That's a long way for a little chap like you to come all alone. Francis nodded. Did you find this source, he said, or, or did you dig it? Did you see clear bubbling water out of the ground? The shepherd chuckled. He was beginning to like this wet, dirty little apparition. And the spring was a source of pride of his life and had been pride of his father's life. You'd best come inside, he said. My woman will tell you all about it. I'm busy. But what I'm thinking is, how did you figure out getting back to Rockley tonight? <clears throat> Excuse me. I left a back bike somewhere, said Francis vaguely, in the next village along the road. It's called Upper Bowbrig Bridge. I just need to get back there. He had followed the shepherd into the stone kitchen where the bright-eyed little woman had made a pot of tea and a tame lamb lay on the hearthrug. Visitors were few on that lonely hilltop where her husband kept the sheep and she seemed pleased to see Francis. Look at this, mother, said the shepherd with a wink. Found him fouling up the spring with his dirty feet. He'll follow the river to, from Rockley, and, and what I'm asking is how's he getting back? No more than a couple hours till sunset. The mailman'll take him, said mother calmly. I'll run him down to the mailbox in a half hour. The track, truck goes right into Rockley. Sit down, Sonny, and have a cup of tea. He was very hungry indeed and started off with a package of buns with the best will in the world. The shepherd, gulping down his tea, made his farewells. Mother'll tell you about the spring, he said, but remember this. Sheep won't drink from fouled water. Never you foul a spring, and I'll be getting back to the sheep. So long, son. 
Francis sat on the rug, rug beside the tame lamb and asked questions. He learned that years ago the shepherd's father had climbed the hill in the time of drought and found a winding patch of green, deep green grass at the edge of the wood. So he learned that it was a water deep down, tunneling into the ground and a watering the roots. So he dug down deep. The water was all fouled with mud and dead leaves and roots trees, but he cleared it and dug a spring a little further down. The water soon came up clear and clean, and then he built his house and bought the, his flock and brought up his mo- my mother-in-law. My husband was born here on the hill, and I came here as a bride. They were brothers and sisters, but they've gone their way to town. But my hubby and I, we raised our children here among the sheep, and we want nothing different. Does the river ever run up dry? asked Frances. She shook her head. Not quite. The water comes from deep down. Even in the drought years, when all the fields were yellow, there was always a trickle, and our pasture stayed green. Now we must be going, son, and we'll miss that mail truck. Frances said a rather sad goodbye to the source, the pet lamb and the buns, and the shepherd's wife went down to the other side of the hill together. It was only a little way to the main road in the mailbox, and Francis was surprised to see the long shadows and the bright evening sky. It seemed such a short time till morning. Look in again, dear, if you're ever along this way, said the shepherd's wife as he jumped into the postman's as he jumped into the postman's truck. It's been a pleasure. You'll be home in no time. It was certainly much quicker by the main road, and the mailman went right through Upper Bowbridge and dropped him off at the garage. He picked up his bicycle and pedaled home. The sun was setting when he arrived, and the family was in a high state of alarm. In fact, Uncle John was out looking for him. Unfortunately, Kate saw him first. You deserve to be shot, Francis, she burst out. Frightening Mom and Dad and wasting their time like that? I wasn't frightened in the least. I knew you'd be off just to get out of helping, you lazy little horror. Just a minute, Kate, said Aunt Aunt Allison, appeared with Martin and Chris wide-eyed behind him. Where have you been, Francis? It's very naughty indeed of you to run away like that. We've all been very anxious about you. Francis gazed at her. He had a wonderful day, but he was not not going to talk about it in front of Kate. He had done, he had not done anything naughty. Later on, when they'd all st- stopped being cross, he would tell Aunt a- Auntie Allison about the source. And she, seeing that faraway look of glory in his eyes, decided to let her husband tell him that he was to stay at home next day and do the share of work instead of going to the cattle market. He would find out, she would find out where he had been first. She certainly did not look as though he'd been back with his gang slashing tires. Tea was over, and she had kept him some, and she sat down by, by him as he ate. Uncle John had returned, greatly relieved to find Francis home, and had gone off to the cattle's. Where have you been all day, Francis? She, he said severely. You must tell me. Francis turned a radiant face towards her. I found the source, he said simply. Not the source of the big river. That's far away in the big mountains, I think. But it must. It might take you days and days to walk there. But there was a little stream, and the grass was so green, and I followed it right to the top of the hill. And I found the source, Auntie. I really did. It came out of the earth, clear as grass, and I put my feet in it, and the shepherd was angry because you might, must never foul sources, Auntie. Sheep won't drink fouled water, and then he wasn't angry anymore, and he took me into his house, and there was a little tame lamb, and he gave, and she gave me cups of tea and buns, and I ate six. Who did, Francis? The shepherd's wife. She feeds the pet lamb, and her father found the spring, and it was deep underground when the grass was green, and he cleared away all the mud and muck and the dead leaves and the water bubbling up clean. They've lived there ever since, and it's never dried up, not even in drought. 
and the grass is always green. I came home in the mail truck. Oh, and the garage man gave me a bag of chips, and I saw a kingfisher and lots of rabbits, and oh, I forgot. I picked you some forget-me-nots. They're in my bicycle basket, and I think they might be dead. She smiled and rumpled his head. Hair. <laughs> You've had a wonderful day, Francis, she said. But next time you must ask. Your eyes are half shut and you're nearly asleep. Run up to bed. Wasn't that a sweet ending? And tomorrow we're going to read chapter 12, The Tulip Bed. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and I, I love you and praying for each one of you that this story will be a um, will touch your hearts and encourage your hearts. And, and we'll see you tomorrow with The Tulip Bed. Bye-bye.